Friends, let us turn for our worship, for our praise, for our meditation in God's Word to 2 Samuel chapter 16. We turn for our scripture reading now to 2 Samuel chapter 16. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us come and hear together God's holy Word. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive His Word on this His Lord's Day morn. And when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and an hundred bunches of raisins, and an hundred summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Girah. He came forth and cursed still as he came, and he cast stones at David and all the servants of the king. He cast stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei, when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom unto the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Then said Abishai the son of Zeruah unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David, who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him, It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing his day. And as David and his men went by the way, Shimei went along the hillside over against him, and cursed as he went, and threw stones at him, and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. And Absalom and all the people of the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And it came to pass, when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, was come unto Absalom, that Hushai said unto Absalom, God save the king, God save the king. And Absalom said said to Hushai, Is this thy kindness to thy friend? Why wentest thou not with thy friend? And Hushai said unto Absalom, Nay, but whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel choose, his will I be. And with him will I abide. And again, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son, as I have served in thy father's presence? So will I be in thy presence. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, 
Give counsel among you. What shall I do? What shall do? And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in thy father's, unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was if a man had inquired at the oracle of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel both with David and with Absalom. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And may the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his most holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word. Well, dear friends, I'd ask you to please turn your prayerful attention to that passage of Holy Scripture that I read to you in your hearing earlier there. We arrive in Second Samuel and the 16th chapter, and it'll be our focus of attention this morning in this chapter to consider the many details contained therein. There are many lessons for us for life, as we are learning from the life of David. Certainly, David's life was characterized by many falls, but even in his falls, God was faithful to him, and God is faithful to us. We are his people, of course, we are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and that never excuses our sin, but God is faithful who has called us and will keep us to the end. Well, we notice at the close of the last chapter, chapter 15, we see David's murderous and treacherous son, Absalom, who killed his brother Amnon. Remember, as he was harboring hatred for him for two years, he didn't take him to the courts of justice, but he took justice in his own hands, and he took his brother Amnon's life. And then he was banished by David from seeing the king, Uh, for quite some time, and then he comes back into Jerusalem and he begins to steal the hearts of the children of Israel. Remember how we read there how he stood by the gate of the city, and when any man had a problem, a controversy, and was going to the judges, he stopped the person and asked him where he came from and said, well, he could be a better judge, effectively, than the judges that David had. He uh, projected an image. This is what he was doing, Absalom. He was projecting an image uh, to be a good king, if he was going to be the next king. He was uh, postulating as a good man. Absalom, remember, as he sought to project this image, he Wherever he went, he rode around with an entourage of 50 men, showing forth that he had some sort of standing, that he was a man of power. Of course, all the power that he had was from his father. But he was a man that was posturing as a potential faithful, not only judge, but king, pretending to offer justice to the people of Israel, saying, well, you won't get justice here from my father or my father's judges. Uh, he said, you'll get justice with me effectively. Absalom, remember, was a deceiver. And uh, he was corrupt. He was a man, actually, that escaped justice himself. He should have been put to death. What hypocrisy. The kettle, as they say, calling the pot black. Really? And this was him. David, his father, in this chapter here, has since fled the city, fleeing the rebellion of Absalom with some of the family members and royal followers. Now we remember Mephibosheth is spoken of here in this chapter. Who was Mephibosheth? It was Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson, who was lame. And remember David showed him kindness. And David said, well, he can eat at my table every day. And Mephibosheth did. He ate at the king's table with the king's sons. David treated him as a son. 
And it seems that in this chapter here, chapter 16, that Mephibosheth, well, he remained in Jerusalem while David fled. Remember, Mephibosheth was lame. He remained in Jerusalem with those concubines of David, who, by the way, were, uh, you could say, raped by by Absalom at the end of this chapter. He remained there in Jerusalem. And uh, he didn't come out with David. Well, remember, as I said, he was lame. And we'll see some verses in chapter 19 that really explain as to why he remained. And what we find here in 2 Samuel 16 is David is met by two men, Ziba and Shimei. And what we glean from this is that David responds to one man better than the other. He is met by Ziba, first of all, the servant of Mephibosheth. Remember, Ziba was originally the servant of Saul, and then he became the servant of Mephibosheth. He served King Saul, but of course King Saul is dead now. And uh, now Ziba here is the servant of Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, the son of Jonathan, who ate with David at the table. And then David meets with another man here by the name of Shimei. Now the interesting thing is that both these men here, Ziba and Shimei, were originally servants of Saul. And the striking thing here is David deals with the one better than the other. And it just highlights something. We've got to remember David is currently in, we could say, a state of not quite backsliding. He's repented of his sin, but he, he's weak at the moment, isn't he? David is very vulnerable. And in his vulnerability, we can learn lessons as Christians. I think there are very important lessons to learn here if we want Christian maturity. You know, if we want to be mature Christians, and by the way, everybody that it truly is a Christian, surely wants to walk honorably in this life. You ought never to be just content with mediocrity because mediocrity in the Christian life will lead to a fall. If we're not growing in the grace and the knowledge, if we're not moving forward, it's like riding a bicycle. You know, you can't stay stagnant on a bicycle unless you're moving forward. And in the Christian life, Unless we're moving forward, we are sure to fall. And we see here David is rather wobbly in his Christian life. If you can imagine the imagery of somebody on a bicycle, he's rather wobbly at this time. He deals faithfully with one man, but not the other. He doesn't deal faithfully here with Ziba. Now, Ziba was a flatterer. And there's a difference between these two men. Ziba was a flatterer. But Shimei was an open, bitter enemy of David. He comes and he hurls stones at David. I mean, this man, Shimei, he even puts his own life at risk. He's full of bitterness and anger. But David deals better with Shimei, the open, sworn enemy, than he does with Ziba. And I hope we learn lessons here this morning, vital lessons for the Christian life. Because, you know, when we are in a weak state, we can deal with some things very well, but other things not so well. Then we need to take heed. You know, the Scriptures tell us, Romans 15, verse 14, whatsoever the things are written aforetime are written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And these things are written for our learning that we might have hope in the Lord who gives us wisdom and who teaches us how to deal with critical issues of life. And I trust that we'll learn many lessons concerning Christian trial and patience. Now, very often when we're under pressure, we can make wrong decisions. We can say wrong things. We can do wrong things. And we see David doing that here in the first instance was Ziba. The first thing that we see here is that this man Ziba comes. Ziba, of course, 
the servant of Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, he comes to David. And what we see is that Ziba's flattering and kindness toward David clouds David's judgment to a wrong conclusion about somebody else. He comes to a wrong conclusion about Mephibosheth. And there was never any reason to doubt Mephibosheth. But here, this flatterer comes, and often flatterers can do this. People can come flattering you, and then you think, well, they're all good. And then they say something bad about somebody else. And you know, here's one thing we could say. David was right to hear, him, uh, to hear Ziba, but he was wrong in reaching a conclusion without hearing Mephibosheth. As Christians, we should always hear both sides of the story. Because, you know, sometimes people tell you what they want to tell you. But it's not always the truth. It's not always the truth. And we'll find that here. So in verse 1, what we find is Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, comes to David. And he shows David immense kindness. He comes with two asses saddled with 200 loaves of bread, verse 1, and 100 bunches of raisins, and 100 summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And David is, is overwhelmed. Nobody else has shown him this kindness. And uh, we can imagine David is fleeing the rebellion of Absalom. And by the way, this is very key to what we're going to look at this morning. Absalom only comes to Jerusalem, you'll notice, later on in this chapter, Absalom comes into Jerusalem later on in this chapter. And uh, we'll see that. So here is speaking here about Mephibosheth, who is in Jerusalem. Now notice, David, here he is. He must have been in a terrible state, hungry, thirsty. And no doubt he must have been very pleased to see this lush fruit and these Two asses laden with bread and everything else. A fresh supply of fruit and drink. And we, we read here, And the king said unto Ziba, verse 2, What meanest thou by these? David is overwhelmed by this. And Ziba said, Well, the asses be for the king's household to ride upon, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. Well, after this must have been surely... Uh, a welcome thing that David received. Supplies for his people, supplies for him. But it seems that David is expecting more. He's expecting a person to accompany Ziba. And he says in the verse 3, And the king said, Where is thy master's son? Now this means Mephibosheth. He's not meaning here Absalom. Many people read this and they think, well, he means Absalom. I can assure you it's not Absalom. We'll see the explanation from chapter 19. This has nothing to do with Absalom. Because as we know in this chapter here, that indeed, look down at verse 15, and Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem. So it's quite clear that Ziba here is not speaking about Absalom. But he's speaking about Mephibosheth, who was viewed as David's son. Or we could even say Saul's son or Saul's grandson. But David treated Mephibosheth as a son. And he's effectively saying, where is Mephibosheth? Where is he? And what you'll notice is that Ziba gives a false report. Now we know it's a false report because we'll turn to chapter 19 in a moment, he gives this false report that Mephibosheth, Jonathan's grandson, or Jonathan's son rather, desires to be king. Now this could never be. And so what he does is he misrepresents Mephibosheth. He's saying that really... He's desiring David's kingdom. Now, we know that's not true. We know it's ultimately it's Absalom. And by the way, as I said, you look down at verse 15, 
Ziba cannot be speaking about Absalom because he's not yet in Jerusalem until verse 15. And so we know that this, therefore, is a complete lie, a fabrication. So if you just turn with me to 2 Samuel 19, verse 24, we find, in fact, it is Ziba that is actually deceiving David at this point. 2 Samuel 19, verse 24, And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. Now, just stop there for a moment. Let me just interject a few things. You can see the sorrow of Mephibosheth. How he's missed David. He's mourning David. He's not shaved. He's not washed. This man is in great grief. Far from wanting to overthrow David, far from wanting his, his throne, his mourning. You notice verse 25, and it came to pass, when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, Wherefore wentest thou not thou with me, Mephibosheth? Now notice, and he answered, My lord, O king, my servant, Deceive me. Now, who is the servant? Zeba. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass, that I may ride thereon and go to the king, because thy servant is lame. Can we do you see the deception of Zeba? And we note, and he hath slandered thy servant unto my lord the king. But my Lord, the King, is an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. What a humble man Mephibosheth is. So we know it's not Mephibosheth here that is doing the unkind thing. And we know it is certainly not Absalom that Zeba is speaking about, but Mephibosheth, who is slandering. And here he gives David a false report about this lame grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. Now you notice, then said the king to Ziba, Behold. Now in the Bible, friends, whenever we see the word behold, and whenever somebody exclaims this, we need to take note, something important is being said, Thine are all that pertained unto Mephibosheth. In other words, everything that Mephibosheth has, is yours. Now that's how I read it. That's how many commentators read it. What is David doing? He is now giving Mephibosheth to Ziba. He's going to be your servant. He switched the roles around. You see that? He's saying... He's actually received Zeba's report. Zeba has shown him apparent kindness. He's come with all this fruit. He's come with all these goods. Can David think this man will ever do him wrong? If he's shown me such kindness, here's the flatterer. You see this? Flattery, my friends. And when somebody speaks well of you, be very careful. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. David received this report without any further investigation. He just simply takes Zeba's word for it. But he had no reason to doubt Mephibosheth, had he? Mephibosheth had been faithful. <coughs> Friends, it's unkind not to hear the other side of the story. Some people, I, I know I've, people have come to me sometimes and they say this about somebody else. And they say, well, and I say, well, let's pray, let's consider. And then you hear the other side and they think sometimes it's unkind hearing the other side of the story. But it's not. 
It's the wise thing to do, isn't it? David, of course, had no reason to doubt Ziba, but he had no reason to doubt Mephibosheth either. And that's the first lesson we need to learn here this morning. The Lord Jesus in John 7 verse 24 said, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. It's always important, isn't it? And you see, here's the point. David was weak, and David needed friends, especially now. And he thinks he's got a real friend in Zeba, but it's actually Zeba that wants more power. Because you notice what he says at the end. And uh, Dr. John Gill makes this comment. He says, this is after David says, all that pertaineth unto Mephibosheth is yours now. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I might find grace in thy sight, O my Lord. Has he not received enough? He sees David at a very weak point. He sees Absalom is after him. He sees Absalom wants... He knows what's going on. But he is taking advantage of David. And taking advantage of Mephibosheth even now. You see that? And here's the lesson. When we are low and when we are in need of friends, beware of how kindness from somebody can be used to manipulate us, and how Satan is very cunning, is crafty. And what we see is, we see Ziba putting Mephibosheth in a bad light. And it's easy, isn't it, to put somebody in a bad light when you're in a good light. Here he is, he's come with all these gifts. He's in a good light. And we always look better, don't we, against somebody else. When we've done maybe something good and we say something bad about somebody else, we can use that to manipulate our own situation. So we need to be very wise. We need to be very careful, friends. We know, as you notice, as I said in verse 4b here, it was Zeba that actually wanted more. Dr. John Gill comments, had it been true what Zeba suggested, it would have been a righteous thing to have taken from him. Though it seems to be too hasty a step in David to give them away without further inquiry. And Zeba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my Lord, O King. And Dr. John Gill says he had found favor already, but seems not to be sufficiently thankful for it and satisfied it, but craved more and other favors when opportunity should serve. Here's the real enemy. And you see how David deals with flattery wrongly. And we need to be very weary, don't we, of the flattering tongue. The flattering tongue can do us more damage than a tongue that speaks against us. And that's what we see uh, when this other man comes to David. So that's the first lesson. And let me say, we all look better when we have been compared to somebody who may be worse than us. And he's given that appearance that, Z that uh, Mephibosheth is actually quite a bad person. But he's not. He's lame. Secondly, you notice in verse 5 to 14, the cursing of Shimei brings David to deal with him in a right matter and a right judgment. Verse 5, And when the king came, King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei. He was a servant of Saul, the son of Gerar. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand. It's not, it says he cut stones at David. It's not as if he was in sort of reaching distance. But at a distance, it was showing disdain for David. You can imagine him at a hill far away, cursing, throwing stone. 
throwing dust up in the air, just showing his disgust with David. And notice what Shimei says. Verse 7, And thus said Shimei, when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man. He's directing this to David. And thou man of Belial. Now we know from Scripture, Belial means worthless one, or worthless man. Now notice what he says in verse 8. The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And all the Lord... And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. Behold, thou art taken in mischief, thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Now, what this man Shimei is doing is he is misrepresenting God's providence. In providence, God is chastening David. But not because somehow David did bad to Saul. Think of it, David... He showed kindness to Saul, even when Saul wanted to kill him. David had opportunity a few times to take Saul's life, but he dare lift his finger up to the Lord's anointed. And even in after Saul's death, well, he wouldn't speak evil against Saul, would he? But you see this man, Shimei, he says, the reason God is doing this and the reason Absalom is taking your throne now is because of what you did to Saul, my master. David, thou art a bloody man. David certainly isn't. You see, what he's doing here is, is misrepresenting God's providence. He wanted to believe this because he had lost as a servant of Saul. And here's a lesson. We have to be very careful as Christians. When something happens to somebody else, we, we might think in our minds, Ah, oh, I know the reason why this person is experiencing this or that. It's because of this. When you don't know, my friend, God may be dealing with somebody, chastising them for reasons that you simply do not know. And yet you pretend to be God. You pretend to know. You don't know. Now, the way David deals with this is honorable. Because David knows that God is chastening him. But for entirely different reasons. For David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. That's the reason. Because God told him. God told him by Nathan the prophet. But how does he deal with this man, Shimei? In the right way. He says, let him curse. If it's of God, let him curse. What is David saying? He's saying, look, if it's a real curse, it'll be. And God will affect it. David is saying effectively, I know. I deserve judgment. This man is wrong. His assumption or the conclusion he draws as to why I'm being chastened by the Lord is entirely wrong. But you see, David is humbled at the moment because he knows he's a sinner. He knows he has again come short. Hasn't he? David never lifted up a hand to Saul. But David did steal another man's wife, and David did kill a man. David knows that in his heart. You see, David is truly humbled. And so we need to be very careful. How often have we foolishly and rashly drawn conclusions about other people? And maybe we think it's because they've done something wrong to us. You know, we, we somehow think we're the center of the universe. God's actually dealing with them for entirely different reasons. But you see, this led to David, as he examined his own heart, to dealing with this whole situation differently. He dealt rashly, didn't he, with Ziba. But here he examines his own heart. And here's a lesson. Beware of bitterness. Maybe you are harboring bitterness towards somebody else, and maybe... 
The thing is, it's wishful thinking on your part. You actually wish something bad would happen to somebody else. And therefore, you, you draw a wrong interpretation of God's providence in that person's life. So be very careful. We do not know the reasons for things. We need to watch our own lives. You know, you and I can impose an interpretation that we simply want to believe, and that will only lead to pride and folly, as it did in this man's life. Look, he keeps walking away in anger and bitterness, casting dust in the air, casting stones, a man of rage. Let me say this, bitterness and malice and envy, they don't do the soul any good, do they? Wasted energy, wasted time, and you don't really know the reason why. But David, I want you to notice in verse 9, he reprimands one of his men here, Abishai. Abishai, verse 9, one of his servants, one of the servants of David said, then said Abishai, the son of Zeruah, unto the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over. I pray thee, and take off his head. And the king said, What have I to do with ye, ye sons of Zeruah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse, David, who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? It's interesting, David deals with these sons of Zeruah far better when he's being chastened with the Lord by the Lord than he does when he's not. You notice that? These military men, these brothers in charge of his men. When David is walking humbly, he deals with these proud military men of his so much better, doesn't he? And so the first thing we see here, David says, let him curse. If God has said, let him curse, let him curse. If it's true, Notice what he says on the back foot of it. Effectively, he's saying, I know what I deserve. I may not have done this to Saul. I haven't done it to Saul. I'm guiltless concerning Saul. But notice verse 11. And David said to Abishai and to all of his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels. He's speaking here of Absalom. He seeketh my life now. He seeketh my life. How much more now may this... Benjamite do it. You see the humility in David. Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. David saw that even this. Now, of course, this man, Shimei, was wrong. He drew wrong conclusions. But the Lord sometimes can even use the chastening of somebody or somebody's harsh words toward us to chasten us. Though they might be entirely wrong. It's amazing how the Lord can work. You know, it's, it's like somebody coming up to you and saying all kinds of things. You know, what do you say in your own heart? Thank the Lord, that man doesn't know half the things I've done in my life. Half the things that I'm guilty of. That's how we ought to think as Christians. This person doesn't, doesn't know all about me. There's so much more he could say, but he doesn't know. So what does David do? He resigns himself, verse 12, to the Lord's mercy. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. David is seeing this as the Lord's hand. And you know, even when people speak evil against you, you can... You, Look, friends, we don't deserve anything, do we? We, we? we can see that we've done wrong in our lives. Maybe the Lord is using those things to chasten us, to draw us near to him. And David and his men went by the way. Shimei went along the hillside over against him and cursed and went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. Isn't it interesting? You've got the two contrasts here in verse 13 and 14. You see Shimei, he's going in all of his anger and bitterness, 
casting stones and dust. It's almost comical. He's drawn a wrong conclusion about David. And it says here, David, he is refreshed. What a contrast. Friends, when you're honest and you have a right assessment about your own soul and you confess your sins before God, you will be refreshed. You'll know peace in your heart. The peace of God that passes all understanding. And you commit your way and you you commit your hand to the Lord. Will he not refresh you? But if you hide your sin, be sure your sin will find you out. You see that? And then we see here, verse 15 onward, God dealing with Absalom. This is striking. And Ahithophel. Now, who was Ahithophel? Remember, he was David's counselor. This man that jumped ship and joined with treacherous, wicked Absalom. And Ahithophel gives him counsel. Go and sleep. Go and lie down with your father's concubines. That was his counsel. Verse 15, And Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And it came to pass, when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, and this was David's real friend, by the way, who he sent back to Jerusalem, was come unto Absalom, that Hushai said unto Absalom, God save the king. God save the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this thy kindness to thy friend? Why wentest thou not with thy friend? Now, you look at these verses and you study the commentators. Hushai is very ambiguous here in this whole thing. We we don't know which king he's speaking about. Of course, David has sent a spy in the camp, Hushai. And of course, the Lord says, those who are froward with the Lord, the Lord will be froward with. And Absalom doesn't deserve the truth, does he? You know, it's right, it's wrong to lie. You know, the scriptures say God cannot lie. We don't find Hushai lying here, but what he does say is is rather, you could take it either way. Which king? God save the king. King David or Absalom? Absalom's not sure, and he, and he asks the question, is this thy kindness to thy friend? Which friend is Absalom speaking about? You see, which friend, David or Absalom? Why wentest thou not with thy friend? Well, which friend, David or Absalom? Absalom's just come in the city. David's outside the city. Seems rather ambiguous. And Hushai said unto Absalom, nay, but whom the Lord and his people and all the men Israel choose, his will I be. He still, as it were, not on the fence, but he is he's not lying. Now, friends, let me say, if God cannot lie, and that's what the scriptures say, Titus chapter 1, neither should we lie. As Christians, we are told that God will not suffer us more than we can endure, but will always make the way of escape. And Hushai here is just being very wise. He's not committing himself. He's not lying to Absalom. But he says, whoever the Lord chooses, I'll abide by him. And again, whom shall I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his son? Well, if you say you're the son, but he's not saying you're the king now. He's not saying that. As I've served in thy father's presence, so will I be in thy presence. He's not, again, acknowledging that he's king. He's very careful with his words. Very wise with his words. Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, this is this, Counselor of David who has abandoned him now. And uh, remember what we said, he is related to Bathsheba. 
And that may well be one of the reasons why he is betraying David. Still wrong, isn't it? Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you, what shall I do? What shall do? And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent. Well, I don't need to read any further. This is sickening, isn't it? The whole thing is crude. It is the word of God and we shouldn't shy away from it. But this man gave diabolical counsel. Wicked counsel. And really this is the beginning of the demise of Absalom. And Israel should have been shamed at all of this. Should have rejected him at this point. But they don't. Now it it is quite alarming, isn't it? What society will accept what a nation will accept, what a people will accept. Well, this man Absalom promised them the world, as it were. I'll look after you, I'll be a faithful king, I'll be a faithful judge. But friends, he was not a shepherd of the people. A true shepherd speaks the truth. And a true shepherd... He's humble himself like David. David confessed his sin. We know we've read all about it. Psalm 51. Many people I've heard say, well, how can David be a Christian? He committed adultery. He committed murder. Yes, but when he did those things and he confessed, it was public. It was public sin and it was public confession. And he never went back to it. And what we see in this chapter really is a mercy to David. While Absalom lays with all of these concubines. We know it would be wrong for David to lay with this woman again. Because that's what the scriptures teach in Deuteronomy. The man, his wife lays with another man for him to take that wife again. And she's become another man's wife. And effectively, this is what kings did, sadly. The heathen kings. They would lay with other kings, concubines and wives. Now, of course, God never sanctions polygamy. But in a sense, God is taking these women away from David. And that's a good thing, isn't it? One husband... One wife, together for life. This was an abomination. And while this was perpetrated by an evil man, God was behind it. And this man Absalom and his wicked counselor, Ahithophel, Ahithophel will go and hang himself. Second Samuel seventeen twenty three. when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, that is, they realize that this man is not wise, but he's an utter fool. He saddled his ass, arose, and got him home to his house, to his city, put his house hold in order, and hanged himself. Such was Judas. Now, what are the lessons? God's people always heed his word, friends. God's people are always chastened, like David. And they're humbled. Sometimes they make foolish mistakes. Sometimes they listen to the counsel of others when they shouldn't. Let us hear. And you know, we don't like to meddle in people's business. But you know, if we're in the unfortunate situation of somebody spreading rumors, we either silence the rumor or we hear both sides of the story. We don't act rashly. You know, we're told a man is a fool if he does not hear the matter properly. Not a fool. Got to always hear both sides to things. And in the end, God is going to have his way, isn't he? 
Look at Absalom, he comes to a bitter end. And how, how does God do all this? How does God take away, as it were, these wives? In, in the real sense. And how does God humble David? By the evil acts of men. And you go then back to the cross, my friends. We have to come back to the cross. We have to end with Christ. How does God deal with our sins? Well, unwittingly, by the hands of wicked men was Jesus Christ put to death on the cross. What did Peter say? You, God, by his predetermined counsel and foreknowledge, he speaks of Christ suffering, dying for his people. But it was men that put him to death. And thank God that through all of our mistakes in life, God can make crooked things straight. You know, all the mess-ups in our life, God will work all things together for good to them that love him. God loved David. God loves David's people. David's people are humble. And they confess their sin. They realize their sin. And they humbly trust in God. And when, as it were, people cast stones at them, they don't throw stones back to them. Oh no, we know we've sinned. We walk humbly before God. May God help us to do that in our lives. And may God refresh us, because there on the cross was really one who didn't deserve to be there, did he? The Lord Jesus. Did he deserve to be there? Maybe things, people say things about you. You say, well, I don't deserve it. But you think of your Lord and your Savior, who didn't deserve to be at the cross, but went there for your sin, child of God. And that's enough, isn't it, to lift up your spirit in the darkest of days when men speak all manner of evil against you. You know, the thing is, they don't know half the evil that is in your heart, do they? And in mine. May we walk humbly and graciously before our God. Amen.